This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan, and you are listening to our Parent Footprint Podcast, where our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same happiness, health, engagement, and awareness in our own lives. That is because we believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Terrific Toddlers. And I'm excited to introduce to you our two guests who are the co-authors of this wonderful new book series, Carol Zeven and Rona Silverbush. Hi, thank you for having us. Hi, Dr. Dan. Hi, well, let me say some nice things about both of you so people know who they are listening to. I'm going to start with Carol. Carol holds a master's degree in education and special education from Bank Street College. She's worked with infants and toddlers for over a decade as head teacher at Rockefeller's University Child and Family Center at Barnard's Toddler Development Center. She's worked at YAI and TheraCare. And she, along with Rona, um, separately lives in New York. Uh, Rona studied psychology and theater at Brandeis University and law at Boston's College Law School. She's represented refugees and has written and co-written several books, including a guide to acting Shakespeare. That's... Sounds very interesting. She currently coaches actors, writers, tutors, and consults for families of children and teens with learning differences and special needs. And as I said, she also lives in New York, New York. So welcome our East Coast authors and professionals. Guys. Hello. Hi. I'm holding holding these books here, um, which are wonderfully illustrated. And I'm just going to set this up for the audience because we're going we're gonna to talk about um, these books and how they're going to b- benefit toddlers and parents. We have one called Boo Hoo. We have one called Bye Bye. Oh, sorry. Boo Boo. Did I just yes. say Boo Hoo? Okay. Okay. So <laughs> let me tell you all, let me tell that, you all why I they said. That's what they say when they get a Boo Boo. Exactly. So everyone listening, there's a picture of a child crying on the ground. So my brain just went to boo-hoo instead of boo-boo. Okay. So at least there's some method to that madness there. Okay. Then we have one saying bye-bye. And oh gosh, uh, that was very difficult for uh, our toddlers when they were toddlers. And then there is all mine with a wonderful picture of someone grabbing something with a mine look on it looks like his face. <laughs> his face, yes. His face, yes. Okay, yeah. so tell. So you guys come from these overlapping and various backgrounds, and how did you guys come together to write these books? Well, well Rona, you want to <laughs> start it from your point of view? Yeah, my son, Jack, was an early intervention, and Carol was one of his amazing therapists slash educators. Uh. And... 
So that's how we came to know each other. And we were realizing Carol used to write beautiful books for all of her kids that she worked with. And we realized that the books that are out in the marketplace for just any child who doesn't have the good fortune of having Carol there in their home um, really were over the heads of the toddlers and not at that developmental sweet spot moment that they're in and um, really weren't working. And the books that we wanted for my son didn't exist. And I am, among other things, a writer. Carol's a gorgeous writer. And we realized we could write them. So we did. Right. In a nutshell, we couldn't find them. So we wrote yeah. them. I mean, you know, you go to the, the children's book section and you see ABC books or Pat the Bunny books. And there was nothing about, you know, these daily emotional outbursts that parents have to deal with with toddlers, which is totally normal. But, you know, there was nothing out there that addressed them in a functional, reassuring way that didn't either talk down to or over the heads of the toddlers. So there you go. There you go. And, you know, it. It's shocking that that book did not exist until you guys wrote them, right? Well, you know, they they have books that um, sometimes address these issues, but the problem is it's very hard, as I think of it, it's hard to unring a bell. So once you understand how the world works, it's hard to remember a time when you didn't understand how the world works. And so even when people do endeavor to write to, you know, a, a subject that is important to a toddler, they still tend to miss that developmental moment that the toddler's at and to write in a way that the toddler can't really take in. And they think they've written a book for a toddler, but they've really written a book for a preschooler. And so that was the problem. So it, there are some books in the marketplace about these issues, but they're really right, you know, written to an older child, even when they say they're written to a toddler. So how right, do you... Tune... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say toddlers tune out very quickly. So you have to use very few words and those few words have to be very pointed right at them. And the illustrations have to be very clear so they don't, you know, their eyes don't swim back in their head. I mean, it's a very specific, right? And and what I'm I'm thinking about is we had a a prior guest who used a, um, here was the, the formula. You have one minute of attention span per year the child has been on earth you know whether it's a two-year-old or a 15-year-old that's how long you have to talk to that human and so here you guys are taking on the mind of a toddler which of course people probably underestimate often and yet you are writing to them so how do you write how did you get it how do you get in that frame to write to a toddler well i i had you know interacted with and wrestled with you know, a hundred or so toddlers over the years. And I feel like I have an inner toddler who has never (laughs) left me. And we try to write from the toddler's point of view, which is also something unique about this series. We're like looking at the world through the toddler's eyes. And I, we lost, we lost Carol's sound. So while we get her back, I'll also say we have done, we do extensive research on developmental psych for toddlers. And and, um, we make sure that we really know what leading developmental psychologists and educators of toddlers have to say about what they think around all these issues so that we could then really write to them directly. I'm sorry. Why did that happen? Don't know. 
I don't know, but but your partner just like picked it up, just just picked it up seamlessly. I I don't remember what when that was, but I was talking about you know working with a hundred toddlers or so. Yeah, go with that. Just just you know trying to be in their heads so that I could manage their behavior, basically, and all these you know big feelings that they were having, and but then sitting and reading with them and not being able to hold the attention with some of the books that were out there and they'd be flipping pages and crawling off my lap. And, and it really gave me a very visceral idea of what toddlers need in their books. Yeah. We were really careful to make sure that both the form and the content are at a level that they, that they can really take in and enjoy and, and benefit from. So, Tell us, so tell us about these books and how they help toddlers with these issues that you're writing about. Um, they help in a bunch of different ways. Um, one of which is that we understand that they need first and foremost to be validated. And so we do validate what they're bringing to this experience. You know, it's so easy, for example, in Bye Bye to just, you know, for parents to say, oh, don't be upset. But don't be upset is very unvalidating of them and what they're experiencing when you're leaving and they don't fully grasp that you are coming back. So that's not a helpful thing to say. It's much more helpful to say, I see that you're sad. I see that you're scared. I see that you're mad, whatever you're seeing. And give them some language that they don't have around it, but start with the place of validating. So that's the first thing that we do. Um, Right. And, and labeling. So we label with a word, something that they don't understand yet. Oh, you were sad to say bye-bye. Oh, you, you didn't like it when so-and-so took away your toy, you know, just in a very brief, concise way to label and validate. And that validates and the package is very reassuring to toddlers, which helps them modulate their behavior over time. Right. Over time being a key phrase. <laughs> yes, right. definitely. Right. And especially, you know, when, when the storm is happening, you don't say, oh, I see you feel sad. Well, I mean, you can't. But we have this thing called the debrief that we like to use, which is when the storm is done, then you can, you know, label and validate. And that part of it over time helps them understand themselves. Right. So one thing we do is validate. Another thing that we do in the books is help them understand the situation. So we validate, we label, we help them understand a situation that we might take for granted as self-explanatory, but isn't to them. So Mm -hmm. we bring it into concrete terms using concrete language that they can really take in and understand. Um, And, you know, that gives them also a modicum of control over their lives because they don't feel as out of control because something isn't as bewildering as it otherwise might be if we assume they know more than they know. And I think there's a lot of assumptions we make as I hear you you both speaking. And and the validating, of course, is totally consistent with what we know about brain-based parenting these days and how do we help soothe a child, calm a child, um, so they actually can be open and receptive um, instead of reactive. And then the labeling thing really strikes right. me because I, I, I just hear so hear myself in the past and so many parents say, use your words, use your words. And we're making an assumption yeah. that a child has a word to describe their experience and feelings, which when exactly. they're young, they don't. Right, right. They don't. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So we give them those words. And when they read the books, they read the book words over and over. The grown up reads the words over and over. And, you know, those plastic little brains just soak it in. And right. we and another also, bye bye. You go ahead. No, I was just going to say they also don't necessarily have great memories yet. And so they do need to have things reminded, you know, that they, for them, that they, you might have said it yesterday, but that doesn't mean that they, know it today, but you think they know it because you said it yesterday. So another way that a book is particularly helpful is it gives them that opportunity to have that repetition so that it can help them grasp the thing more quickly. Exactly. Right. And how have you seen, how do these then, I mean, they're written obviously for terrific toddlers, but then as we all know, it's us parents that have so much responsibility and um, for lack of a better word, power in in how our kids Mm -hmm. are shaped and learn. And so how do you find the impact on parents? Well, our overarching goal was always to help the children by helping their parents. Mm -hmm. And we help the parents understand their children. So, and that helps them with their own emotions so that they can manage their children more easily. Right. I mean, we, right. we, we, in the, in the, in the end of every book, as you probably noticed is a notes to parents and caregivers. And in those notes, we give some developmental information about toddlers explaining why they do things the way they, you know, to help the parents understand themselves and their children and it just makes things easier we think right so the in the story the story is for the toddler and but what happens in the story what we've layered in is really good modeling for the parents and so then that helps them when they read the back notes the notes at the at the end um that helps them see how it played out in the story but the end notes give them greater context and more insights that can be you know right. they, they also feel better because they have more they're less bewildered by what's going on, you know? So we're giving everybody tools. And, right. and I love the, t- the tools through story, through picture, and then, of course, developmental milestones. And and what do you, you know, what is, quote, normal, or as we say these days, neurotypical? And I, I have mm-hmm. a question about that because we know more and more we're learning about, talking about neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. And um, there are those kids that um, scream and tantrum longer or have a take longer to learn a social lesson or find their words. How do you, how do you guys think about the variability and then the, you know, the developmental variability of toddlers and parents raising them? Well, we found that um, therapists and psychologists are really excited about these books for children of very different ages, not just toddlers, because uh, any child who's at that moment will see themselves in the story whether or not they themselves are toddlers, you know, so, you know, a child who is at that developmental stage can be older if they have particular Mm -hmm. special needs or emotional, you know, delays or whatever their, their particular story is, but they, um, if they see themselves in the stories, the stories help them. So we found that it really is applicable and useful to children beyond the toddler years, if that's where they're, level of understanding and emotional development is. That makes perfect sense. Um, I'm thinking about what you talked about earlier or mentioned earlier about the debrief. And could you tell, tell us about how to effectively conduct a debrief? Well, it, 
I know it sounds like something used by the military, but it's also <laughs> a way a way to just explain to a person, but in particular a toddler, what they went through so they don't feel bad about it. Because often little kids, they're very egocentric, and they think that anything that goes wrong is their fault. Mm-hmm. And so we can use the debrief to tell them, you know, uh, this is what happened. Uh, you, got, you were sad when that happened. And then mommy helps you. And then you wait, maybe silently, but to see what's going in and how the child is processing it. And maybe that's enough for that debrief. And then the debrief can develop as the child gets older and, and is more willing to engage. But it always happens after when, when both people are calm. Because when toddlers have these big emotions, parents tend to get sucked into that big emotion. And so when both, both parties are calm, then you can engage in this sort of mini analysis of what happened. And, and day after day and debrief after debrief, life tends to start making sense, mm-hmm. even to a little kid. Right. So I think it does a couple of things because I think on the one, you know, for the first and foremost, it helps reassure them that things are okay. You know, that even if they felt terrible in the moment, like it's, you're not still feeling terrible and this is what happened and it's really okay. Mm-hmm. You're okay. Mm-hmm. I think it, uh, so it really helps them on a, on a um, self-esteem level, but I also think it, it then serves to reinforce the lesson that you hope that they will get about how the world works mm-hmm. so that the next time they can have a little bit more of a recollection of you know, what your overarching lesson around it was, you know, boo-boos do get better, you know, whatever the thing is, mommies and daddies do come back, you know, whatever your debrief is can help stick the landing so that the next time they may get upset all over again, but maybe it's a a nine instead of a 10, you know, or 10 instead of an 11, you know? (laughs) And I really, I I love the concept of um, how the world works. And I find um, that's something I talk about in my counseling office daily with people of all ages who are trying to make sense of things that aren't making sense or aren't fair or not right. And so this idea of how does the world actually work, I just find so right. valuable. And as you guys are pointing out, um, it, we need to start teaching our kids about it at the beginning, the very beginning. Right. And, and one of the things they learn over time as the debriefs go on and they start is that feelings come and go. They feel like so huge and overpowering, but they come and go. They're not there now. Oh, there's one. Oh, now it's gone. You know, they get a sense of the ebb and flow of emotions so they don't feel dangerous or stressful. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. And then the other thing is that they come to also take the debrief in as something that helps them. And they know that. And so my son is 15 and he brings up the opportunity to debrief. He doesn't wait for me. Mm-hmm. And we may debrief around mm-hmm. something several times in several different ways at different times, but he's bringing it up to me to debrief if I haven't already brought it up to him. Mm-hmm. And it helps, it helps tra- him measure train him in his early years. Yeah. Well, we have. <laughs> Carol's <laughs> part of my intrinsic part of my village. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, Jack has an extended family. Yeah. He does. Lucky him and lucky me. Okay. So, we need to talk about the book All Mine, 
because <laughs> rumor has it that it might the title might not represent what people think it might represent. Right. Right. Or or it might. Or, or it, it might. Or it might. So what toddler. is this what's this mystery? Yes, it depends on the toddler. So tell us about this particular book in the series. Well, toddlers toddlers they have a lot of things going on developmentally that prevent them from understanding others' wishes and their selfhood is just emerging and they have trouble, you know, differentiating their self from others and from the objects they're holding on to. And so uh, the issue we grappled with in the book is, is whether they should be forced, if somebody wants something that they have, should they be forced to, oh, share and, mm-hmm. and give it away. And we said, no, because they're not developmentally ready, basically. Right. And so what you say instead, what the teacher in the story says is, she's still using it. Tell him I'm still using it. So you protect the ownership of the child who the grabber is trying to grab away from. And the grabbee has rights. And, but, but so does the grabber. And when she's finished, you can use it. And the whole book is kind of like that. It's, it, it blows some people's minds. But really, it's just normal boundary, good boundaries, good, you know, The thing is, behavior. though, parents assume, again, that a toddler, because they walk and they talk, that they're further along than they really are in terms of develop, you know, their development of self and of concepts of, you know, other and even things about object permanence or about time. I mean, they just don't have a lot right. of concepts that you have to have in place before you can understand the notion of sharing. And people think, you know, oh, I've got to start right away. Teach them to share, share, share. But share is a meaningless gobbledygook word if you are a toddler. You can't understand share. And you're you still think- figuring out that you are not the other person and that you are yourself. And one way you test that is by saying mine. And oh, people need makes- to just right. relax on yeah. that a little bit. <laughs> you know, your child will oh, get Oh, my, my, my selfhood is mine. This object is part of my selfhood and it's mine. Yes, it makes so much sense. And how many times do you have an upset child who you're, making them share which of course they don't know what that is and you might be pulling away literally like symbolically a piece of themselves yes and then the shaming the shaming we do when they can't handle ours pulling them apart yes and then oh they can't handle sharing right makes our family look bad right we want to look really good and polite and everything yeah and i like yeah but ultimately it will backfire in later life and maybe sooner rather than later of holding on too long to things when really now you're developmentally ready to take turns and share and do all that good stuff. But you're like, no, I, you made me give it. I mean, they're not thinking that, but basically, you know, I think greed is a product of having been betrayed in early childhood. And parents get very upset because they just think that, you know, they've been taught sharing is caring, sharing is caring. But you've got to wait till your kid can grasp it. You would never tell a four-month-old, like, let go of that rattle and give it to another baby. Like, we understand that they're not there, but we still need to help parents understand that even their toddler is not quite yet there. They're an ambulatory baby in some ways. They're just not ready yet. So important. So important. And I like the rights that the grabber and the grabby both have rights. We just have to help uh, help with the situation. Both of them. 
Yes, yes. they both yeah. have rights. Okay, guys, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. I'm going to let you quietly fight over who gets to go first. And here, <laughs> here is the question. Question is, tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Okay, well, I'll go first. I'm not a parent, but I was a child. And I, I would like to, so, so the, the parent footprint moment I'm going to tell you about happened when I was in my mid-30s. But it would not have happened if there hadn't been one outstanding feature of my childhood. So just bear with me while we look back for a moment. Yes. What I remember most about my childhood is the total lack of acknowledgement or any appropriate response to feelings. It was weird. There was nothing mm. like, you must be so happy about that, or you, that must have made you mad, or was that uncomfortable? I mean, don't get me wrong, there were a lot of feelings in my family, just none that weren't mocked or twisted into something else or ignored, you know, and God forbid you should have an emotional issue, it was too shameful to go to a therapist, right? right. Of course, therapy in those days was still fairly primitive, but that's another show. Yeah. So. In my mid-30s, I started noticing, noticing things about myself, like, you know, symptoms. I was aware enough to know that something was wrong, and I started reading everything I could get my hands on to try to figure it out. And at that time, there were a lot of self-help books about self-knowledge and relationships. <laughs> so there must have been a lot of other people who were in the same boat, right? And that's when I found the drama of the gifted child. It's a thin, uh, looking book. Yes. Alice Miller, yes whose subtitle is The Search for the True Self. It was about people who weren't understood by their parents when they were children, people whose feelings were dismissed or subverted for a parent's unconscious needs, and how those of us who experienced this kind of childhood had probably lost or never achieved a true sense of self. Oh, wow, brain explodes, mm-hmm. right? When the dust clears, I start working on how to identify my feelings. In the moment, not the next day or a month later in therapy. It was painful, and it took a long time, and I'm still working on it. And now, I have to say, sitting here today on your show, the sheer serendipity is not lost on me that after struggling with emotions and selfhood, I've been working with and writing books for the people who are the personification of my issues, toddlers, (laughs) whose emotions are blessedly so easy to see, right? Mm-hmm. And whose selfhood is emerging in the most amazing way. And all this began with the moment I saw myself in the pages of a book. Oh, that's wonderful. And what's screaming at me oh, is one of the things that you've said is validate, validate, validate. Yeah, there was nothing, you know, it's so important to just acknowledge, you mm-hmm. know, and I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I always say everyone feels better when they feel understood. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Thank you for sharing. Everyone, oh, you hear that? <laughs> do you hear that? How to acknowledge and validate your children of any age, their feelings. Of any age, right? Yes. Yes. Thank you. 
Okay, that leaves one more parent footprint moment. <laughs> um, so yes, I, I could easily wax rhapsodic about the importance of Alice Miller in my life as well. Um, mm-hmm. My mom's a Holocaust survivor, and oh. you know who was who was a toddler herself at the end of the war. So you can fill in all the rest. Um, right. I think that a good sort of counter balance to you know the very eloquent answer that Carol gave is I, I'm a lawyer as well. I don't practice anymore. And of course, with a mom who's a Holocaust survivor, I was doing political asylum representation for refugees, helping refugees to be able to be safe. And the thing was that while I felt very passionate about doing it, I really, the work that I needed to do was really not my right work. And I always just shoved it aside. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s, early 30s, that I started to listen to myself as opposed to listening to all the other sort of influences in my life, like my parents and whatnot. And I started to really assess what I wanted to be doing. And that circles back to work with Shakespeare, as you mentioned in the beginning, and Mm -hmm. writing and working with children and, um, so putting all those pieces together, I wound up leaving the law and becoming, among other things, an acting coach, a writer of these books, um, working, I do teach, you know, young children, um, young, young people. So I, I have a variety of things that I do, but it's really because I listen to myself And as a result, Mm -hmm. now I have a son who's now 15. And one thing that I have really tried hard to do is always to listen to him. And, you know, there's so many ways he's like me. There's so many ways he's so different. And it's really important for me to not just assume I know how he is feeling or what he's thinking um, because of what my response would be. The really important thing to do is to be listening to him and giving him the space to, um, to, to figure out how he wants to articulate it um, and then understand what he's trying to say and go with that. And what you are sharing with us is so consistent as well with uh, Parent Footprint in the sense of you following what is your calling, your passion, your going with what's important to you. Uh, instead of the shoulds, you know, right? when our kids see us doing things right. we think we should be doing and we're not invigorated and we're actually depleted, we're kind of showing right. them how to live and yes. they absorb that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you said it. You guys have inspired me. And Carol, I oh, you just brought me you. back to uh, when I first read that book and the profound impact that had on me in graduate school. Wow, the same thing, like, poof. It was a mind-blower, right? Mind-blower, yes, yes. It really was. So. Carol Rona, thank you. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Thank you for enlightening us today. Everyone, oh, go thank out. Thank you. And this was great. Go check out the terrific toddler series, and uh, there are messages in there for us adults as well. I've uh, I've re- I've I've become back in touch with my toddler self just by uh, <laughs> hearing this. Yay. I've been pro- processing Good. my 
being a parent of toddlers and maybe a few things we did right and maybe a few things we should have done a little differently. But uh, this is all grist for the mill for us to be the best humans we can be. You guys tell us where people can continue to follow your work. Uh, well, the books are We on- have a website. Yep. Oh, and go ahead. No, I was just going to say the books themselves are on Amazon. And we are just commencing work on books four, five, and six, which will hopefully be out in the next year. Um, so that's something else to nice. look forward to. There's more to come. And we do have a website. And if you need for more information about the books and the background and philosophy and all that, terrifictoddlersbookseries.com. That is the website. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, everyone, that concludes our show for today about terrific toddlers. And um, this also has to do with terrific parents and terrific humans. And to all of us (laughs) who are doing our best every day in our multiple roles, remember, try to be the person you want your child to become. Focus as much as possible on your own vision of successful parenting, whatever that means to you, and be intentional about what you are trying to accomplish with your kids. Enjoy them. Enjoy yourself. Maximize your passion and interests. And as always, think about the question I ask myself daily, what footprint do you want to leave? 